Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the program. This is Rick Roberts, and today I'm sitting across from a very accomplished writer who's been writing, I would say, most of your life uh, for some very great people, including Phyllis Diller, uh, over 15 years of writing for Bob Hope, which I can't wait to talk a little bit about. Uh, She's been nominated for a ton of awards, won a lot of awards, and she's gracious enough to let me stop into her house today and talk to her about some writing techniques and some tips and some other things. But first off, I'd like to introduce Martha Bolton and see how you're doing today. How's it going, Martha? I'm doing great, Rick. And uh, when I first got here, I got to peek in your first room there, and it's got it's like a little comedy museum. An amazing amount of really cool memorabilia and awards and, and people you've written for. You've written for everybody, it seems like. You're like the go-to person. <laughs> I go door-to-door. <laughs> yeah, when, when they're not calling you, you knock on the door and get some jokes for them. Um, first off, just tell me a little bit about where you're from, where you, where you kind of grew up, and let our audience know a little bit about you. Well, I'm from Los Angeles area. I uh, grew up there and uh, started writing as far back as I can remember. Was I was nine years old when I wrote my first book called Little Book, one of those composition books, right. but it was called No Fun Being Young. And I just wrote about... Uh, uh, funny things that happened in my life and I still have that actually (laughs) and um, so I started writing and then I would uh, got a job as a a church secretary Mm -hmm. and wrote roast I would roast the pastor when he had a birthday or an anniversary or whatever and I'd roast different people in the church (laughs) I had to keep changing churches but (laughs) (laughs) yeah the roast went so well you got fired (laughs) but uh, that's where I got my start writing comedy and I got a lot of encouragement from people that uh, that just told me that I should be writing for television or uh, Hollywood and so I had never really thought about it and I always knew that writing would be a hobby, but I never thought of it as a career. So I started sending my material out, and I I wrote, um, I started, I remember the first letter I got back that they were buying, and uh, I, I, you know, ran screaming from the mailbox to the house, ah, <laughs> I got five dollars! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but it was, it was really cool, and I started writing for different comedians. I, I wrote for... Um, Phyllis Diller. Uh, I also did uh, housekeeping uh, jokes and, and aging jokes. And I, re- I remember I'd sit at the house and just you'd look around and you'd write. You'd mm-hmm. just the lines would come to you. And I, I set myself a um, quota and would meet that try to meet that quota every week of this many jokes I'd I'd mail out and. It, Treated it like a real job. What was that quota like? Ten jokes, twenty jokes. At the beginning, it was twenty, uh-huh. and I would do that every. In fact, my husband, uh, when I ended up uh, quitting my job, he said, "Well, yeah, you can, you know, go ahead and do that and, and go for it, but you, but treat it like a real job." And so I did, and and every day I would get up and and work, and then the twenty became forty, and the forty became sixty, and before you know it, you're you know you're getting it back. The more that you put out mm-hmm. the, the it, greater in chances of it selling so I started doing that then I got recommended um, 
for well, I had read Jean Parrott's book, and then I, uh, I we were so similar in a lot of the things because he did roasts and I, I did roasts. He wrote for Phyllis Diller. I wrote for Phyllis Diller, and so I contacted him, and he invited me down to see Mama's family, and so we, I went down there and I took this big album <laughs> this all huge album and and took it in and showed it to him of all the because th- I was writing a newspaper column at that time and writing for different comedians and so he said well you should be writing for Hollywood so I did a couple of spec scripts for Mama's Family and and turned those in and the producer really liked uh, what I had done and was going to call me in for a, a pitch session the next season and and the show got canceled. Oh, and that's the way it happens, right? You get your <laughs> right. foot in the door and somebody sells the house that I has know, a door attached to it. <laughs> I know, I know. But what was cool was that, he, you know, he was my, my door, my, my uh-huh. connection, because he also wrote for Phil, uh, Bob Hope. So I, uh, uh, he liked my work, and then he, when that happened, then he uh, recommended me to Bob Hope, and I tried out for Bob. I, he gave me a topic. Gene uh, gave me a topic, and I did some lines and sent it in, and I was waiting to hear back to see what Bob might have thought about him. And one night, 11.30 at night, my husband and I had gone to a uh, uh, this event and then came home, and he took the babysitter home, and the phone rings, and it was Bob Hope. Wow. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. But... There was also a, a deacon in our church that did voices. So for the first part of the conversation, I'm going, okay, Frank, I know uh, it's you, and you're not yeah. even that good. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up being being Bob, and he gave me another um, assignment. He told me he liked my work, gave me another topic to, to work on, and it, that just started. He called me ever since. So. And, and back then, were you faxing in jokes? Because it, he was pretty topical, right? So Yes, yes. It, it, with Bob, it was whatever happened in the news. If it broke in the news, it, he was on top of it. And sometimes you do three different things in the same day. And, and we, we weren't faxing at the beginning. I would drive to his house and drop it off and come back to my house, which is like 20 miles away. Mm-hmm. And... In fact, there was this one day I remember where I had to do three trips. I got home. There was another message waiting for another one because this was also before cell phones. Right. <laughs> and and then you'd do that. You'd drive it in and come back. And then there was another one, drive it in, come back. But we got him onto the fax machine um, idea because he was away. And uh, uh, Bob Mills got the phone call for an assignment. And so he said, well, what I'm going to do is... Uh, I'm going to fax this to him so he can see you, all of you fax it to me and then I'll fax it to him and he'll see, you know, we were going to write as fast as we could. So he, from the time he made the assignment to the time a, a hotel clerk was bringing it to his room, he would be uh, shocked at how quickly he got the paper right. of the fax. And, and so that talked Bob into uh, buying a fax. Oh yeah, I'm sure he, he was, <laughs> was all aboard. You know, you exactly. We all we all had our faxes, but Bob Bob he, Hope hadn't had. He didn't get it yet. So, so that did it. That's pretty wild. And yeah. you spent 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. Wow. So over the course of time, um, from that initial first phone call that you got from him till the, the, the you know the last couple of years there, how more um, comfortable did you get writing for him? What did it, what did that relationship develop like over the years? That was the interesting part when. When I first started with him, 
I would look at the piece of paper and you would just go, oh my goodness, this, I'm going to send this in to him or you know, drive it down to his house. And from the moment he called, it was just panic time until you filled up that paper. And then it got to be, because your comedy muscles mm-hmm. <laughs> grow, and then it got to be, well, he'd call in the morning with that day's topics and, okay, well, I could go shopping until one or two and then come back <laughs> home and fill it in and your mind is always thinking anyway right. you're writing notes on bank receipts and everything else but um, it did you do grow into it and you get that confidence that you know it's going to come you know the deadline and you know it's going to come so it, you really start relaxing that it's not a panic you just know it'll be there i think that's a great takeaway for both the speakers and the comedians listening is you one deadlines are great Two, it, you got to work that muscle every day. I mean, you said you started off writing 10 jokes a day and then 20, then 20 turned into 40. At your peak, did you ever count, like, did you have like a 100-joke day or was there a day where you're like, I'm the woman? <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one uh, show that we were working on, which was, uh, that's, I think this was our record, is there were seven of us working on the show. There were seven writers. And we turned in over 2,000 jokes in one weekend wow. between the seven of us. So... That's yeah, three hundred close to three hundred yeah. jokes each over a weekend. So that's over a hundred a day. That's not saying funny. how many were good. But. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I always tell my my students, you know, write ten, you might get one good one. Write yeah. twenty, you might get three. But you, I always find that it's it's never the first two or three that I write. But I have to get right. those out of the way and exactly. get deeper into it because you know most people have the same first two or three thoughts I would about a topic. So it's really finding what else can I do exactly and getting yeah. down into it. That's yeah. that's incredible. Now you've written for TV show too, right? TV shows as well. So what's the the difference in the time frame from you know the script idea or the the sketch idea to fruition you know compared well, to the Bob Hope days? A lot of times um we would we would he would call us to his house and when when we were going to do the show and we did probably I think close to 50 in in my time in the, in the 15 years that I was with him with 50 hours of primetime Those were big deals variety. back then too. Oh my goodness, he he had an A-list talent mm-hmm. that would come on. It was just amazing. And you'd sit there, we'd tape him, and he'd want a line change. And so he'd call us to his dressing room, and you'd go into the dressing room. And there on the the sofa in the dressing room would be Lucille Ball, Milton Berle, George Burns, and Danny Thomas. I mean, legends right. are sitting there across from you waiting for your line. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, my goodness. That's- that's some pressure oh my it was but fascinating my goodness and then Bob would be sitting there with his make getting his makeup put on you know in the in the break but they were just wonderful people they they didn't um you know there was they were very understanding and and uh, really encouraging but we would do the we would meet at his house to and talk over the, what the show would be about mm-hmm. mainly and then what the sketch we'd come with sketch ideas and and we'd send those in uh, and then meet at his house to discuss them. And, and he'd, he'd sit, we'd be at a table like this, and, and he'd be at the end of it, and he'd go through it, everybody's ideas, uh, uh, one at a time, and, and just the ones he liked, you know. And, and he read that, I remember this one time, he read this uh, sketch idea that I had, but, but I didn't have an ending. And so I didn't think he would notice, and I just kind of just put it down. Right. <laughs> and he's reading it along, and he gets to the to the end, and he goes, and then Martha went to lunch. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
but that's hilarious. You couldn't, you couldn't get too much past him. But it, yeah, it, it, and we worked really fast. It it was um, uh, from start of the you know beginning to the to the show being put on. It it was a few weeks usually. It, it was pretty quick and. Even we would write fast when we would write for him. One of the, one of my favorite stories. Um, in fact, I have a couple of them. But he was his uh, uh, job was to go to a psychiatrist convention, and uh, so we all wrote psychiatry jokes, which is a comedy writer's right. dream assignment, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And and so when Bob got to the venue, he discovered it wasn't a psychiatrist convention; it was a chiropractor's convention. <laughs> so we we had like fifteen minutes to write all new material. Oh wow! But, and then find a psychiatrist convention you can book yourself at, so you could use those other jokes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know any good psychiatrist <laughs> conventions going on? That's incredible. So 15 minutes to write a whole new... All new, yeah, yeah. And, and he was pretty bent on always doing new material, or were there some staples he that he would... He always did. He was, he was a, a material junkie. Uh-huh. He loved to get jokes. He loved to have new material. He loved... He was always polishing his act. Nothing was, was set forever. And even if you turned in material and he didn't use it for one of the shows, it would come back. In another show, you'd be standing there and you'd go, wait, I didn't write that for this show. I wrote it way back. But he would bring it back out. So nothing was wasted. And he had two vaults in his, in his office area off of his house. And they were like bank vaults. And just file cabinet after file cabinet on either side, lined on both sides of each vault. And just of all the, all the jokes throughout the years. And fireproof fire vaults. That's fire, incredible. Yeah. And now all of that has been uh, given to the Library of Congress in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. So, so it's you've got a lot of jokes in the Library yeah, of Congress. Yeah, You could go down there and you just go through, you know, scroll through all that. They have all the machines set up and you just type in a topic. And then all the jokes come up. Really? It's so I'm cool. wasting all this time writing new material, and I can go back and find <laughs> some nuggets that still apply. <laughs> we still hate Russia, right? We can pull those suckers out. <laughs> That's but, pretty wild. Yeah. yeah so you loved, got to go to his house. Just You were that yeah. comfortable with him. Oh, right? absolutely. That's all, yeah. That's, that's yeah. Awesome. It, it was, uh, and he would call all the time. You'd get calls. In fact, one of the favorite uh, stories of the writers, that one of the writers got a call. It was... Uh, Late at night, and his wife picked it up, and and uh, you know it was Bob, and and she said, "Is you know he said, is your husband there?" And and she looked over at her husband sleeping soundly, and she just didn't have the heart to wake him up again. So, you know, she hesitated, and Bob said, "You know, is is your husband there?" And uh, so she said, "Well, no, he he told me he was going to be with you tonight." So there, there was this pause, and and then finally Bob said, "Oh yeah, here he comes now." <laughs> So he was a quick thinker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's playing the old uh, assistant. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Now you also, um, I saw some pictures of you with Phyllis Diller. Yes. And she, I mean, she made a ton of appearances back in the day. How how constant was her need for new material, or how often did you get to write for her? Well, I wrote I wrote for her uh, before Bob actually, and uh, just the same thing. I had that quota, and I would send it in, and and she was wonderful because she would. She would write notes on the side of the page and uh, which jokes she bought, and she'd, you know, say like dynamite or, or great or tremendous or whatever. And then she, if she didn't buy it, she'd like give you a tip on how to make it better. Oh wow! So which was really helpful. And so, uh, you know, we we did that for years. And then what was really uh, neat is when I got with 
Bob Hope, then she would come on the show a lot. So it was, you know, it was like family. Yeah, a couple <laughs> we of buddies. All, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. She said, uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes that she said was uh, with uh, when she was describing her work with Bob Hope and how they would dress up and, and you know, just like they you know play she said that it was like two kids playing in a sandbox together so i love that that quote about that's, her. that's great and that and that is the way they were all of them all of the vaudeville the the ones that had come through vaudeville and uh you just would when they all got together you could just see that not only were they funny people but man they had a friendship that was deep and went way back yeah i, I think comedians in general have a very deep understanding of what we go through you know, speakers do too as well. But the the comics, you know, there's comics that might not even like their act at all. But I can just look at, they put 20 years into this mm-hmm. and they're successful. They've got their following and I just can appreciate the travel. Right. I mean, just if you just isolate the travel to do all those <laughs> things, you know. Now, you were based in L.A., so a lot of this was happening around you. But did you ever get to go on the road with any of the, the Bob Hope overseas tours or any of well, that kind I, of thing? I had little kids. My kids were uh, really little at that time. So... He was real understanding about that, and uh, I did. Uh, we did do a, a, a yellow ribbon party at his uh, Palm Springs house, and we. That's that's that was my big trip. It was right. LA to Palm Springs, but it was fun. And uh, but I wrote for the shows. I wrote for three wars that uh, under him was uh, Beirut, uh, Desert Storm, and uh, uh, Grenada. And, and were you ever secretly hoping we'd invade some other country so you'd have another writing gig? <laughs> Was there ever a month where you're like, boy, I hope we, hope we start shooting some missiles at somebody? Cause well, you know, it, it, it's funny that you do, like, especially like politics and whatnot, you, you do kind of hope that this one gets elected rather than this one because they're a lot funnier. You know, you just know that there's places to go with them Absolutely. rather than somebody else. So you do, some of that enters in where you're like, you know, I know Obama's the first president that I can't really do an impression of, and it drives me nuts because I've got eight years here where I can't really drop drop that in as a little tagline and add to a joke. So hopefully the next one's got a big southern accent. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, you've done a lot of writing for books, too, and, and uh, some ghostwriting, I guess you could say, but also some straight out. You've got your own comedy books. Yeah, I, I started out writing um, the, my my did a lot of drama for church and I, I so I have some books of that and then I started writing um, youth books uh, youth devotionals and then marriage books and then uh, just general uh, humor books mm-hmm. that uh, uh, seem to and seem to uh, have been opened some doors on on other kinds of writing so all of that is just keeps it out there I love to write and and then so each stage of my life when I had little kids I wrote about little kids uh-huh. and teenagers and then you write now you write about middle age years yeah <laughs> write so about, about what you know five of those yeah so and that's it's, developed it's, into into writing plays too which is right uh, musicals yeah, I, that's that's a whole I mean not to say that writing jokes are simple because there's an art to that but to take that the tightness of writing for a, a quick joke and now you're thinking three act plays or however many you've got right. to really expand those ideas how do you What's your process when you've got it? I mean, I guess, with, first off, how do you get the green light to write a play? Or do you just write it and then pitch it well, did, after I, I it's would, written? I, I had written a lot for the stage and, um, and then I was approached by a producer to, to write uh, this 
Amish play, which <laughs> was such fun. And it was based on Beverly Lewis's trilogy. And so we, um, uh, we did that one, and then we did a, a, which was called The Confession. And that's playing now in, in three theaters, soon to be four. And then we also did uh, Half Stitched, which is based on Wanda Brumstetter's uh, book, the uh, uh, Half Stitched Amish Quilting Club. And then uh, I wrote a novel. I did my, after 88 books, I finally did a novel. And yeah. I, I got the courage to do that because I'm used to work writing in smaller mediums. And so I thought, well, I'll do a, you know, maybe I'll give, try my hand at a novel. So I wrote a novel called Josiah for President about an Amish man who runs for president. And so I wrote, I wrote it, and uh, through the encouragement of, of the producer, and I pitched him the idea, you know, he, he just loved it. So I, I wrote the novel, and Zondervan published it, and that came out in October 2012, and now that's our third musical, and that opened in July of this year, and it's playing uh, exclusively in Shipshawana, Indiana, this year, but then next year it'll go to the other areas where the other plays are playing, and which are Sugar Creek, Ohio, and Burnhand, Pennsylvania, and then we have uh, several other areas that are getting ready to that's great add to it. Let's so. talk about you know in the Speaker Association we were talking about finding your niche and digging deep and deep and narrow. And there, I don't know if there could be a narrower, deeper niche than Amish plays. <laughs> 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 you know, just getting the word out on radio and TV has got to be a nightmare. But yeah, that's an incredibly specific thing. But I always find that once you have a specific area like that, you can really explore more purposefully the different ideas around right. the theme, right? Yeah, and it's always exciting. I, I love to keep the writing life exciting and, and new things. And that's always been – I don't like being in a rut, and I also like to, to write several things at the same time. And, like, when I'm writing – the plays I'll also you know get a call to write for this comedian or that comedian or you're at a certain stage in a book uh, so everything is at different uh, levels of completion you're not at the same place where you have to finish four things at once right you're right. at the beginning of this one the middle of this one and the end of that one and then, you know a lot of people talk about focusing on only one thing but I, for me being a creative person I like to have two or three different things going on absolutely that way when you I get burnt out on one idea you can just switch to the other and it's fresh i like to i like to emotional uh write by emotion i i term it uh-huh. <laughs> where if if it's a day when you're feeling uh, a certain way you're feeling down or you're feeling uh, uh fearful or you're feeling this or you're feeling courageous you take the project that needs that and then I work on that, and you put that emotion in that part of the play that that is calling for that, and it it works for me. To, I, the, you just pour the emotion there. I think that's great. I mean, talk about using what you've got that day and, and focusing on what you need to finish. And why fight against what you're feeling? Exactly. If you're aggravated, put that into comedy. You know, he's just okay. This this calls for aggravation. I'm going to work on this part of the um, either the comedy bit or the. I'm going to take that nugget and use that for <laughs> when I'm writing because I, I do have a few different things I'm working on. But yeah, you can, you're not always in the mood to be yeah. goofy or whatever. Right, so why right. not? That's why I, go against it. Go from go with it. You know that one takeaway for me is going to that's going to help a whole lot. That's awesome. Let, let's talk about um, just just the dedication to writing for those that are listening that are still working on the material. 
you know, some listening haven't ever taken the step on a comedy club stage. Um, some of the speakers listening are wanting to find more ways to insert some humor into their programs. What are some doable bite-sized things that maybe they can start with to try to work on smaller pieces? I think thinking about the overall thing is overwhelming sometimes. Mm-hmm. But what are some shorter maybe assignment type things? Something you could tell them maybe try this today and see if you can get this down on paper and baby steps. Well, I I always tell people that if you if you look at it just you have to accomplish something that day. Whether it's in the business part of it, whether it's in you know submitting, whether it's getting it ready to submit, whether it's going through a uh, writer's market book and deciding who you're going to send to, getting the envelopes ready for it. There's always something that you can do that day that you have the energy for. It may not be the big thing, but you could do something. So number one, take at least one step every day toward your goal. And then... Um, Fear, you just have to put fear out the window because fear will totally stop you in any career. Right. And it'll definitely stop you in a writing career or a performing career. So that you just have to realize. It's like when I first was writing for Hope and put that paper in there and it's just fear, but you got to push through it and keep doing it knowing that it's going to get easier. So you tell yourself Okay, that first appearance on the stage is scary. Right. But the 20th won't be, and the 50th definitely won't be. It'll be a lot of fun. Another thing that I, I tell myself is you just have to have fun. You know, sometimes when they're performing, they're, they're giving too much to the audience. If they're not having a good time, the audience isn't going to have a good time. So it can't be the other way around where you give all the power to the audience and their having fun is going to make you be funny. No, you have to be funny and they will have fun. No, I agree so, with that big yeah, time. And, yeah. and, and you have to have some material that you enjoy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it, it, if it doesn't make you laugh as you're writing it down on paper... The first time, I mean, after a while, because right. you ended the polishing right. of it. But but when it's it, it, it should make you laugh out loud. You should have those kind of jokes that make you laugh. And then another thing, when you're going through your material, I I always and this is what Bob would do as well. Uh, you number it as um, either he would do like check marks or like it would get one check or two check or three checks or. Uh, I, I'll do it in numbers, like if it's a 1 to 10, and the, give it a score, my own score. Okay. And, and be tough. Don't, don't give yourself a pass. If it's not a 10, don't give it a 10. And, and then, once you do all that, then drop everything that's a 6 and below. You don't need those, and you only want your 7s, 8s, and 9s, and 10s. Right. And, then, and then you let the ebb and flow throughout your routine go between that level rather than throwing in a four and a five and having it dive yeah we were just talking the other night about how whether you're having a great show or a bad show with a few laughs it's always the the high points of the great show are still gonna be the high points of the the not so great show because the material stands out regardless right so shooting for those you know seven eight nine tens that's the way to go and be tough i mean we you know too often we're uh, you know, you see people that aren't tough enough on themselves, and you really have to be tough and and let the audience determine whether it's a good joke. And doesn't mean it's not a good premise, but it's just not worded right. Right. You know? And we talked about this recently too. Have you ever just got to where you loved a joke so much that you kept trying to 
it, you know, sell oh, yeah. it to different people. Like this, <laughs> somebody's going to see the true cleverness of this material. <laughs> hey, is there any that stick out in your mind over time, or a particular time where you just, if this joke doesn't get on the TV, I don't know what I'm going to do. They only come up in my nightmares. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, the, the, usually if you, because you know your instinct, and your instinct is telling you there's something funny there. Mm-hmm. But it's not there yet because the audience is not agreeing with you. So you, you just have to keep working at it. And you know maybe it's not clear enough. Maybe the setup isn't right. Maybe the punch isn't short enough or snappy enough or surprise. It's not a surprise. There's something that's wrong. Uh, and it could be the premise is just no good. But you know usually if you're thinking that there's something funny there, there probably is. But you just haven't totally honed it yet. So keep working at it. And... You know, there there does come a time when you've tried everything, right. and you should probably just <laughs> let it go. That joke is for an audience of yeah, one. Yeah, and exactly. I've heard <laughs> Is there? Um, I mean, think you've covered a lot of ground in your career. It's amazing. Think of are there some moments that stood out where you maybe you're on the side of the the stage watching Bob perform your material and or Phyllis or any of the others, and you thought, "Wow, I didn't even think of phrasing it that way." And when they got on stage, they 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 phrased it different or the pacing was different the delivery that made the joke even better than it was or in a, in a different way that you hadn't seen before? Yeah, yeah, that has happened. Um, with Bob, though, he pretty well stuck to what was on paper. But one, one thing that was interesting, I, I thought, we would stand on the side of the stage at NBC and we would, <laughs> if it was your joke, you'd, you'd nudge the uh-huh. person next to you. Uh, and if it if it was your joke and it got a big laugh, you'd even turn and look at the person, <laughs> the other writer, and go, and then you'd point to yourself. And and then if it didn't get anything, then you just would stand there and, and perfectly still and not claim anything. But one there was one interesting uh, taping that happened. And Bob had to redo it. He had to redo the monologue, and he would do like forty five minutes at the taping which would get pared down to what you saw on television which could be like six minutes but he would do a 45 minute monologue and we he had to redo it and it was the exact same material the exact same artist Mm -hmm. the exact same uh delivery everything was the same except the audience it was the two different audiences and it was amazing and we all commented about it including bob how the different audiences would laugh louder at the at different jokes than the night before and would not laugh at jokes that had gotten a great laugh the night before so so much of it is just out of your hands you don't mm-hmm. know where it's going to land and and you'd uh, uh, you know be you'd marvel at that so other times we'd we'd marvel at the jokes that he picked and we'd go well I just threw that in to fill out the page right. <laughs> that, that was a six a exactly <laughs> and, and he'd, he'd pick that one and you know it'd either play great or or you know it wouldn't but whatever uh but sometimes it was a surprise that, that it played great and you didn't count it as a big joke at all and it would play great right, so. you're just too close to it and just didn't see what he saw yeah in it. yeah and I'm, i've got to ask this because as a comic most comics especially when you first start are a little bit afraid of silence but yeah. Bob Hope had this, I'm going to stand here until the laughter comes before I get to the next joke kind of an approach. Did he Absolutely. ever talk about uh, 
why you know how he came about doing that or why he did it or was it because there was a new 45 minutes to record every so often so he had to <laughs> you know slow down the jokes a little bit or but i just loved his confidence when he hit those lines he would just kind of wait for it wouldn't he i think it, yes and I, I and i think it was confidence it after years of doing it it was absolute confidence that he knew what was coming he knew that they'd get it and he could take his time and wait you know yeah I, it's a he, he had tremendous timing on that yeah i was I, you know even when i was a kid i would kind of watch stuff with my dad you know and uh we'd see some of those specials and I just thought what's this guy waiting on <laughs> oh there's the laughter like he's he gives them a beat let them process it then they get back to him but I just I always loved that and I just thought man it's it's got to be nice to get to that point and you know I'm there with some of my stories and some of my different yeah. jokes I know it's going to be there but what I find myself doing the negative thing that I find myself doing sometimes is stretching out the front part too much because I know there's a good payoff at the end mm. um, and so one thing I've been working really hard in the last couple of years is making sure I don't enjoy my own joke more than the <laughs> crowd does you know so that's, that's just one little thing I've been working on well cool I've seen um, you, you wrote some children's books you, you've got the plays going on now the musical what do you think is your next big project I mean you've got your novel done or is it is it out We're, oh yeah yeah okay. it, came, it came out in um uh, 2012. Okay, that was the Josiah one, right? right? So, so now you've is, now what's... we're hoping uh, there's interest, and we're hoping it happens that uh, in it, in Josiah being a film, that'd be so, great. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of faith-based films going out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of different um, smaller studios putting out bigger pictures. It seems so. Right. Man, you just don't know. So, and you've written songs too, parodies. Yeah, I uh, I love doing parodies. I I wrote a lot of parodies for Mark Lowry, and uh, obviously for Bob Hope, and and different ones, different comedians that uh, that that's part of their mm-hmm. uh, material. And I I just I loved I love doing parodies. They're fun. Uh, yeah, I would think <laughs> of all the things compared to a novel. We could yeah. sit down and knock out a couple of parodies this afternoon because I love the parody because <laughs> there's so much setups already done for you. I know, and it's you know the it's fun. Audience is really waiting for somebody to say, "Okay, we've heard this too much." And that parody really says, "We've heard this too much. <laughs> we've heard it so much, we all know what the premise is without even setting it up." What's What's fun? Uh, what, what Once we had with Bob on uh, how he would change the um, assignments throughout the day, and we had the, this one time. I remember we had. Uh, the jokes to write, and then we had a funeral tribute, and then we had song parody, and then and then more jokes to write. But you, what you find is you're doing the song parody, and you get into the rhyme, mm-hmm. and then you're doing jokes and rhyme when you're you try and switch over. It trickles and, over. Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> so you get your your brain was always going from one place to the next, and then to the serious things, and so. Yeah, but it kept it kept it interesting. I would imagine, and. and it, it, it must have been kept in, keeping it interesting. I mean, so many years. How many years would you say all together since you've started writing? Since I started writing? Probably, uh, I wrote my first play at 21, when I was 21. And what was that about? Um, it, was a, it was a church play. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it was a Christmas play. And, and then I wrote my first article for a magazine uh, when I was 23, and that was our testimony of um, our story of our children. You know, mm-hmm. we had we had lost a we had a miscarriage and a right, stillbirth, right. and then adopted uh, two children, and so it was our, it was our story. And so a good chunk of time, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that's when I, as far as like professionally, I um, 
would go back there, although I started writing it, it when I was six. And that's something. But that's pretty wild. No, nine. I'm sorry, nine. I gave myself three more years than I deserve. <laughs> that's all right. You deserve it. <laughs> you deserve it, Martha Bolton. Um, I, well, cool. I think there's a lot of great takeaways here for for all the groups that are listening today. Um, is there a place online they can find you uh, if they wanted to see some of your writing and right, send them to your yeah, website so they can yeah. check it out? Uh, yeah, just www.marthabolton.com. And then um, also uh, I'm on IMDb and um, just throughout the different places. I have another uh, children's musical also that uh, if they want to check that out on um, uh, www. Bethlehemerbus.com, and then uh, there is the musicals are under uh, www.bluegatemusicals.com, and they can get all the information on if they want to come see it. That would be awesome. That'd be great. And that's uh, the different theaters, but they could all they're all listed on there and the dates that they're at. So. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes online. So if you listen to this, you can go over to schooloflast.com. Go to the podcast page, find this episode, and click on that, and all those links will be right there for you. Martha, thank you so much for letting me join you in your wonderful home and and see the little mini Bob Hope Museum. Uh, Keep up all the good work, and we'll see what's next. Thank you, Rick. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.